Bring it in, read option back better than ever. Uh, apologies, not did not have an episode out on Tuesday this week. Uh, some scheduling stuff, weren't able to get it all done. Lots of busy work stuff, just wasn't quite in the cards. But very happy to be back. Scotty's here. Uh, yep. Before we get into too much of the action, I do want to give a shout out to my friend Elena Jacks and her podcast, Girl, We Gotta Talk. Uh, I was a guest on their podcast earlier this week. It was a really, really fun podcast, completely different than anything I've ever done, either in radio or on our podcast. It was super personal. Um, I highly recommend everyone to go check it out. She does a really good job, and it was a really, really fun podcast. went about an hour 45 talking about mental health and, and life and a, a bunch of just random shit. So if you're a fan of the pod, obviously, you know, listening, you guys support us. Go check her out as well. She's a big uh, fan of the pod and, and yeah. a good friend as well. So uh, good to get out fun. of your Elena. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, man. I mean, it was so different than anything I've ever done in a podcast yeah. before. Um, and it was cool because she, she lives not far away. So we were able to, you know, do it in person. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was it was great. Go give it a go listen. Give, Go give her a listen. Go follow their stuff. Give her again. a like. Subscribe. I, I never thought I'd be a, f- a featured guest on a podcast called Girl We Gotta Talk. Um, now, it I wasn't was. on your bingo card for 2023, huh? It sure wasn't, but we had we had a blast. It was really fun, and Elaine is awesome, so we had a good time with it. Um, so I wanted to give her a quick shout-out. Obviously, Scotty's here with me. You hear the voice. Vito, still gallivanting. We need the update from him. He's He's around somewhere in this country, I think. It's impossible to track where he's going, what he's doing. He's um, like Carmen San Diego, man. Yeah, like, right, you might be too, world, too young for that. No, I know <laughs> where in the world is Carmen San Diego. I'm aware. I'm aware. Um, yeah, so it's it's gonna it's uh, you know it's always tough. We miss our buddy, but we'll get him back on soon. Hopefully after the Final Four in the national championship, because we need the Sweet Sixteen experience in Vita. But yeah, how are you doing, Scotty? How's life? I'm good. Baseball's back, brother. It's a new year. Happy New Year to those of you who still pay attention to baseball. Um, uh, if you're a Phillies fan, and there are many that listen to this podcast, you are extremely uh, anxious for uh, for how good your team could be this year. I, as a Giants fan, am hoping for something slightly above mediocrity. So uh, whatever your your state of your team, uh, it's just good to have baseball back and, uh, and another sport because uh, – you know, just a couple of months here, Jeffrey, and uh, and it'll be that and Joey Chestnut. That's all we got. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it, this is always the thing. I always get really excited about opening day and the first like two weeks of baseball. Hey, I'm obviously 42. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm always and, and, and I'm really pumped for it. Like I am. I'm super excited for, uh, you know, this season for the Phillies. The Reese Hoskins injury is a real bummer, a bummer. because yeah. I think with Reese in the, in the got lineup, his, got his knees taken out from under. Yeah. Uh, with Reese in the lineup, you're looking at the Phillies, you know, when Bryce gets back at the All-Star break is probably the best hitting lineup in baseball. Like I'm telling you, if Reese Hoskins would be your seven hitter. So, <laughs> yeah, and they usually would hit Ridiculous. him in that two. They would hit him in that two spot after Turner. So you're going to you'd have Trey Turner and Reese and then Bryce and Real Muto and Castellanos look good in spring training. Um, there's just there's so many studs in that lineup. I'm still excited. It's sad about Reese because he is like kind of the heartbeat of that team, like. Bryce is obviously like the leader, but in terms of that, like that core guy, who's just like, 
right there in the lineup. Reese is that, but um, it's fun. Like that, there is an energy about opening day, especially for anyone who's ever played baseball or grew up around the game. Um, like that opening day is just like shit. Like you just like, I had almost, I had forgotten until last night that today was opening day. And I'm like seeing it on the TVs today. And I'm just like, man, like it's just, there's, there's an energy about it. That is special. Um, but we also have, I think the most, and I've said, I said this last year, I think this is the most fun stretch of sports that we have the next like two months. Um, you could probably say from now until like June is probably the most fun stretch oh. of sports that you have. Right. The because we have, Masters. we we're oh. in the middle of March madness and we're going to, we're going to talk March madness. Uh, as well as make our picks for the final four. Um, but that tournament's been crazy. We have uh, the draft for baseball. We have the masters, which is my favorite. We have the PGA championship, which is now moved up earlier in the year. So we'll have that. Plus you have NBA playoffs um, coming at you here in just a few weeks. We're going to be getting close to M- uh, NBA playoffs. Uh, and, and I think this year, I think the postseason is going to be as fun as we've had in a really long time for NBA playoffs, because I have no idea who's going to win. Agreed. Um, and I think that's going to make a, a, a really, really fun, uh, f- fun uh, couple of months. So this stretch is awesome and I can't wait. Uh, and we also have a ton of news and that's where I want to start with t- today's pod. Um, the most important thing on the pod uh, in the sports world right now that everyone's been talking about is Lamar Jackson. Now, I had made my claim about three weeks ago, it was maybe a month that I thought Lamar, no matter, no matter what ultimately happened, my one prediction was Lamar would not be in a Ravens uniform again. And the latest development is that he has formally requested a trade from Baltimore. And there's a few different ways I kind of want to go with. The biggest one is just how did Baltimore screw this up as badly as they did? Like, I, I totally get it for Lamar. Um, and, and I respect Lamar as the, hey, I'm going to be my own agent guy that he's kind of been throughout this process. And I think that's kind of where a lot of this starts. Like when you're going up with a, with a guy who is no longer insulated with an agent to protect him from the things that the agent doesn't always tell the player, like, Hey, this is our number one concern as to why we're not giving you the money that you want. Or these are the thing, these are the reasons why we don't want to give you that money. That's like, you know, a girlfriend that you're with who you're like trying to figure out if you want to get engaged to, and she's like, well, look, these are the reasons why, like, I'd be hesitant to say yes if you proposed, you know, and it's no, no guy would ever want to hear that. Right. That doesn't mean you're like, oh, have your friend go talk to you to insulate it. But it's that same feeling where it's like you don't want to hear the person that you're about to sign up with for the foreseeable right. future long term. You don't want that person to come at you with that kind of, you know, phrasing and, and those concerns. Exactly. It makes it problematic. And- and to that point, using the same analogy, it would be for on Lamar's side being like, well, you just told me that you don't value me at the value that um, I think I am in, in our relationship. And further, uh, <laughs> you know, you built your life around me. So how do those two things match up? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's a weird, a weird situation for, for both uh, Lamar and the Ravens. Well, and it's funny, too, because I think in hindsight, like the year Lamar won MVP, there was so much conversation about like they built this offense specifically for Lamar with the tight ends. And, you know, you had Willie Sneed there and like rookie Hollywood Brown, but you had the stable of running backs and it it was going (laughs) to be like the Greg Roman offense. And 
after that, that 2019 season when he won MVP, we look at Lamar now in a like, and what the Ravens have done now, like they haven't done enough for him. They haven't given him an AJ Brown. They haven't given him anybody to make it better. But then all of the pieces that they had in place when they were running this very specific offense for Lamar slowly deteriorated and they never did anything to replace it. Right. They lost Hayden Hurst. They lost, uh, I forget who the Boyle wasn't, it It was like Tim Boyle or I forget who the, who the other um, tight end was that they had there, but it was Andrews. It was Hayden Hurst. And it was a third tight end. And they used to run those 31 sets with three tight ends and one running back. And they had that, you know, that platoon of running backs that would come in and it was impossible to defend. And then slowly those players either got hurt or got cherry picked or moved on or retired. Obviously they lost uh, Marshall Yonda after the 2019 season, you know, losing an offensive lineman like Yonda was a huge loss for them. And it just never felt like we got that the Ravens did anything to replace it. And it was like, Hey, we're just going to bank on Lamar being amazing. Lamar gets banged up at the second half of the last two seasons. And now it's like, and for the record, he, he, he missed six games last year, but it wasn't like he missed the entire season, you right. know, and, and the year what before is- he missed the last four games, you know? So it's, again, it's, it's very interesting for a player who's lost 10, missed 10 games over the last two seasons, but is still one of those handful of quarterbacks. I mean, like you, we can count on one on two hands, right? The amount of quarterbacks that you are like no brainer. Like you want that guy on your team, you extend them and you figure the rest out later. And, and Lamar is and, on that list. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the irony, the two are available uh, are supposedly available uh, in, in Lamar and, and Aaron Rodgers in the same year. Like this doesn't happen. Uh, and, and so to that end, I don't know why, in, especially in Lamar's case, why everyone's like, mm, I don't know about this guy. Um, it's no, you clamor for, for that guy to be on your team at and that position. What's interesting is hearing the side of Ravens fans, which is just that same question. Like, how did we get here? Like, how do we get to this position? Like the NFL is all about finding that guy. And the Ravens kind of stumbled into it to begin with, with pick 32, you get that extra year of control. And then turns out, yeah, you know what? Your gamble paid off. This dude's fucking incredible. He came in, what was it like week 10 or week 11 when Flacco was still there and, and takes over in the second half almost leads them back. I think they're playing the Niners or someone out on the West coast. Um, it, It is really astounding to look at this version of the Baltimore Ravens with people like Ozzie Newsom, who like most people in football hold to a very, very high standard when it comes to, you know, being a GM, uh, John Harbaugh, one of the most respected head coaches across the NFL, you know, uh, and traditionally a team that doesn't really screw up. Like, and part of that too is because of what happened with Flacco, right? Because, they could have gotten away with extending Flacco in that year. They won the Super Bowl and beat your Niners. They could have extended yeah, Flacco should've. for significantly less money throughout the regular season. At the, well, they chose at the time not we were to. Saying should have, yeah, yeah, right. And instead, right, he goes on this incredible run, wins you a Super Bowl, and then you're in that position. Where it's like, well, fuck, we have to pay this guy, right? Lamar is one of those guys, and maybe this is just an organization that has had a good GM and a good enough head coach that are so respected that you can't 
like it's kind of covered up the stink of ownership a little bit, right? You've had a competent team for so long that it's kind of clouded. And then the way the Flacco thing worked out where you won a Super Bowl, so that clouds it even more. I feel like the success of John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom, and again, like the Flacco winning the Super Bowl, still having the, a really good defense throughout those years, falling ass backwards into Lamar, all of that has kind of clouded the stink going back to that 20, was it 2014? What year was that Super Bowl? 2012? 2012, yeah. Going back to over the last 10 years, and it's kind of clouded some of the stink that this ownership group has where it's like, yeah, I guess, you know what? They might just be a cheap front office. They might just not shell out the money for players that they probably should. Yeah, but to the degree of value, though, like a similar comp I would make is is the 49ers right now, right? You put in a guy at quarterback has immense value and last four years the story has been well you put any quarterback in kyle shanahan system and it works i would do despicable things to have lamar jackson in a 49ers uniform right now and this is what the ravens should be doing and being like yeah like our system is built in such a way that like maybe any quarterback can be successful tyler huntley did not look great back there pro bowl tyler huntley um he did okay but not great and so you need a guy like Lamar Jackson more than a, a team like the San Francisco 49ers needs a guy like Lamar Jackson. But uh, it's it's insane to me that that's their thought process. And it's like how they him and brought him to winning an MVP. Yeah. How many playoff games has they, have they won? Right? Yeah. Well, I so mean, at some well, point, and, and this is proven to your point, I think this is what what the the ownership uh, cloud is that that is that is uh, over the head of of that organization. Well, and I think for the most part, they have succeeded. They've won a lot of playoff games. They've been consistently competitive. Like I remember making the comparison for a long time during like the Ed Reed and, and Ray Lewis era, like the Ravens and the Eagles were both in very similar standpoints where it was like, they were just consistent. They would just win games. When Andy Reed was the head coach of the Eagles, it was like, how many truly bad seasons? How many times can you remember the Eagles drafting in the top 10 with Andy Reed? And the answer is like, there were like two seasons, you know, after his first, from his like second season on, there were like two seasons where the Eagles drafted that high. Think about the same thing with the Ravens. Like, how many times can you really remember the Ravens being like they drafted like what was it 13 last year and they drafted Kyle Hamilton? Like that's about as early as you can really think of because they're yeah. always just consistently winning enough games. Joe Flacco goes on that crazy run and they win the Super Bowl, right? You know, like there's a there's a bunch of different storylines that you can talk about with you know this Ravens team and this organization. But I think for the most part, what we're realizing here and like I thought Stavros, I don't know if you know who Stavros is. He was, he's a stand-up comedian. He was just on Pardon My Take this week, but he's a diehard Baltimore fan. Um, and he does that really funny, like, uh, oh, yeah, over-the-top yeah. Baltimore fan guy because he does a great accent. Um, and he, I thought he made a really good point, which is it's like your concern is that, well, what happens if we, you know, <laughs> what happens if we pay Lamar and then he gets hurt? All right, well, we're fucked. Okay, what happens if you don't pay Lamar at all and you let him go? You're still fucked. Like there is you're not going to find one of those top 8 guys. Like you have you have to really get lucky. Like I agreed, but like we talk I, about this how is... hard it is to draft quarterbacks in the NFL every year on the draft and we're going to start getting the draft stuff here in, over the next couple of weeks, but like 
it is so hard to nail draft picks at the quarterback position. And 100%. over the last 10 years alone, going back to like 2015, since the Jamison Mariota draft, it's less than 50-50 that you're going to hit on a first-round quarterback. So it is becoming more and more difficult to actually find something that you already have, right? Just but it's the chance, man. Like it, it, the similar situation with, with Kansas City. You pay Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars. He gets hurt. You're fucked. He leaves. You're fucked. But like, he, he just won a Super Bowl. Like, so you you win in, in that regard when you gamble like that. You win and you lose. And Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have lost. Yeah, I, and it's just crazy to me looking at a guy like Lamar, who's as talented as he is, and you are the Baltimore Ravens, and you're sitting there being like, look, like we you have this, like you have one of the eight guys. Right. Like if we were going to list off guys that you'd be willing to give a long term contract to in the NFL at the quarterback position right now, it's what it's Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, Hertz, Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, based yeah. off of what we Maybe, saw last and, and year. That, right. I think and that's OLI right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like I would lean yes, based off of what we saw last season and especially down the stretch with Lawrence. Um, sure. Aaron Rodgers for a year. You know, maybe, but if we're talking long-term, you're not going to put him in that conversation. Lamar is on that list. Who else? You know, that's seven. You know, who else are you really going to give a long-term type of contract to? Like, I wouldn't even say Deshaun Watson with how terrible he looked last year, right? And that's I wouldn't say Justin Fields just yet either. Justin Fields, you're not 100% sure on, right? So it's like, we're talking about seven guys. And you can even make the argument that, like, I wouldn't make this argument, but other people make this argument that's saying, like, maybe you don't give Hertz that extension. I would, just like I would with Lamar. I'd rather take that risk of a potential injury and still trust in the dynamic elite-level athlete who has done nothing but win games and perform for you night after night. Everyone loves Lamar. They, everyone thinks he's funny. The players in the NFL love Lamar. Like, it's just consistently, like, everybody loves this guy except for the Baltimore Ravens. And this goes back to the Deshaun Watson thing, which it's like the reason, and this is where Lamar, I think, is completely unrealistic about what his expectations are. But Lamar is not going to get a Deshaun Watson contract because the NFL is not, like the owners are not going to give him. Like they're not going to give these contracts. But that's, they're just that's not. Admittedly, that's admittedly a terrible contract though. So at what point does Lamar have to like re-baseline himself and be like, it is. nobody's going to give that because that was a terrible contract. I can't align myself to that being the standard. I And I agree, but that's not how these guys operate. That's not how players operate. They go, he got that much money and I'm better than him. And you know that I'm better than him. Give me that money. Give me that contract. Well, sorry, Lamar, that was objectively a terrible contract and a terrible decision by the Cleveland Browns. We'll see how this year turns out for them, at least on the football field. But for the most part, yeah, you're not getting that contract. If I'm Lamar, I'd much rather have the Patrick Mahomes deal, which is like, hey, give me a $400 million contract in total value right? Spread it out over 10 years and, and keep the first six years of it as the guaranteed money for the first six years. So you're still getting a long-term deal full of it, but it's going to be a 10-year contract. And for the Ravens, if after four years, his physical you know, qualities drop dramatically, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, But if it does, if he becomes super injury prone, then you can get out of it after four years. But you'd so much rather go into each season knowing that you have Lamar Jackson as your quarterback than thinking, all right, well, maybe you know 
Bryce Young is going to work out, or maybe, you know, CJ Stroud is going to work out. Not to mention the Texans aren't going to trade that pick for him. The, and I don't think, and and they're, they're definitely not going to give him that contract. Uh, The Panthers aren't trading for him. They're going to go up and take their guy after the amount of capital that they just traded away. They're holding on to that first overall pick. So the best Falcons, (laughs) which again, to me makes no sense. And I even saw there's a beat writer um, for the Falcons being like, I'm so sick of everybody shitting on the Falcons because they don't want Lamar Jackson. Like they don't understand how team building works. And I'm like, dude, well, was, like I read every, the, the so same like, thing that was like, you don't want to piss off Desmond Ritter. Like what? <laughs> well, and I look, I like Desmond Ritter. Like, I have no problem with them going into it and gambling, but like his argument was like, you know, the national media doesn't understand like what we've been trying to build. They're clearly not even looking at what it is. The Falcons yeah. are trying to build. And it's like, how's, no. how's Kyle it's Pitts like, working out for it's you? Like, buddy? No, like we, we get it. Like you've invested <laughs> on the offensive line. You've invested on the defense. You have a good head coach. You have a bunch of pieces. This is the exact team you've built around. Cause he finished his thing saying that like team building isn't only about getting QB one. It kind of is, though. I'm pretty sure it is. It kind of fucking is. Like, you can get all the pieces around it great, but if you have a mediocre quarterback, you're not fucking going anywhere, man. You're not. You're the New York Jets with with Mark Sanchez. We're like, yeah, in a best-case scenario, you make your way to the AFC Championship game by overachieving, and then you're still going to end up losing. You're not winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, this really With cuts to my core it, because uh, I'm, building my it that team way. is the exact same. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Niners are the same right now, right? I, I mean, know. like, like, <laughs> and and they went all in on a draft prospect. Like, the Niners are a perfect case study. They went all in on a draft prospect and instead of taking, like, the guy that you know, instead of going after somebody that you know and maybe overpaying a little bit for it, they were like, well, we got to pay all these other guys. If you're Baltimore, who else are you paying? Roquan Smith? Mark is Roquan Smith is Roquan Smith going to be the highest paid player on the Ravens next season? I mean, he might like, be very like, well. Yeah. So like, what are we talking about here? If, if you're the Ravens, absolutely. If you're the Falcons, who's the highest paid player on that team? The guard that you just signed in free agency. Like yeah. go get Lamar, give him the contract now while you have Kyle Pitts and Drake London on rookie contracts, while you've invested pieces on the defense, when you bring in Jordan Pryor, right? Like go get Lamar now while you have these pieces. It makes no sense. None yeah. of what the NFL has, tr- has treated this Lamar Jackson thing makes any sense on a football field. Like, from a league perspective, like a more macro level, but not wanting to hand out these big contracts, I understand it. I disagree with it, but I understand it because there are workarounds that you can do. But like, dude, you have one of the seven guys in the league that you would want to lead your franchise. And you're not, no one, no one is nibbling on that. Now I get why teams would rather put together a trade package because if you offer Lamar something that is something that you would be comfortable as an organization signing him to the Ravens, were just going to match. Right. So there is a very low likelihood. And the other reason too, is that the Ravens know that they, if they trade Lamar in a sign and trade or, or just in general, if they just sign him to a deal, trade him, whatever, like they're more likely to get more back than just the two first rounders they would get on the transition tag. But again, if I'm, if I'm like, any other team that's right there on the cusp. We've talked about the Miami Dolphins. 
I would send yeah. Tua to Baltimore in a heartbeat. And in, in that division, yeah, in the in the AFC East, and even earlier this week, there were rumblings about Bill Belichick wanting him for the for the Patriots. And, well, so and that's all the that other got thing. disproven yesterday, but well, um, not necessarily. Like I, I don't, I don't think they're out on it. I really don't. I don't think you can count them out. Now, will Baltimore trade Lamar to? But this is the thing too. It's like. I, and I said this, I said, he's either, he's not going to sign the tag and he's just not going to play this year. And I don't want that to happen because none of us want that to happen. But I said that three weeks ago, I think he ends up getting traded sometime around the draft. I don't know which to me, I don't, I don't know what team it's going to be, but. Because in the event that it is the tag, like you'd want, you'd think that Baltimore would want that, that draft pick like now to go get one of those quarterbacks. Well, Exactly, which is why like a team like the Colts are interesting, right? Like the Colts who've had this revolving door of it's like they're one one behind the record of most consecutive seasons with a different starting quarterback. I think it's seven seven seasons now in a row with a different starting quarterback for week one. Like if I'm the Colts, you have the fourth overall pick. Maybe you give up a first rounder next year, but you have Michael Pittman Jr. You have a decent defense. You have Jonathan Taylor. You have a good offensive line. Go get fucking Lamar playing in an indoor stadium. Like, yeah, I, it, it just it's so much of this makes just so much sense. And yet all of these teams collectively are not doing it. And I think it ultimately comes down to the owners. Like the owners are very tentative. And the other thing, too, is I don't know if the Lamar contract gets figured out until one of these other dom- dominoes like Herbert Burrow or Hertz gets figured out. Because like the Chargers announced yesterday that they're starting talks with Justin Herbert. They're the that's the first one between Hertz, Herbert, and Burrow. This is they're the first ones to have entered into negotiations about a long-term deal, right? They want us because there hasn't been a long-term QB deal signed since Deshaun Watson. So whenever that domino falls, I think is going going to kind of reset the market, but not in a like, oh, this is now the next highest. So it's like because traditionally it's been like, you know. Kirk Cousins got his contract, right? And then it was like Carson Wentz got a contract. Ryan Tannehill got a contract. And each one reset the market and got a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Last year was like Kyler Murray, right? Like it just each one went up a little bit until we had Deshaun Watson, which then blew the complete doors off of what a contract is, has can, you know historically looked like with for these quarterbacks. There's going to be a resetting of, okay, well, what's the action? Because that's an outlier. So where are we going to fall back to? Like, what is Herbert's contract going to look like? What is Burrow? What is Hertz's contract? Those three are going to be the next ones to determine. And I have a hard time. And that's what makes Lamar tough. It's like, because Lamar has all these complicated factors. It's not re-signing with your own team like Jalen or Joe Burrow or Herbert. This is trading a bunch of assets out and then also paying this guy a big-ass contract. Right. And do you have the infrastructure already to to support a player who should come in and elevate your team to an immediate competitor, you know, and and contender in the AFC, NFC and the NFL in general? Um, And and so I I don't know, like that's what makes this harder. It's not just re-signing your own player like the Ravens should have done two years ago when the Buffalo Bills did it with Josh Allen. You know, after the 2019 season, that's when the conversation should have started. The long-term extension should have started then, right? Yep. Defer some of that money out. Figure there's so many ways to manipulate the cap. To have not started it then is is an absolute disaster. You know they've been fumbling this bag now 
Now, granted, there was a whole pandemic in between it or whatever, but the 2019 oh, season, right. it's been it's been three plus years that they have had to work on this deal with a guy like Lamar Jackson. So now to get to a point where you're like, yeah, well, I hope we get a couple first rounders, a couple second rounders back is insane. And with yeah. the, how much the draft, I mean, look how much the fucking bears got for DJ Moore. Like, are they, the and Panthers we, got for DJ said, Moore, you know? Like, and we all said, I don't think that was enough, frankly. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the bears traded the first overall pick and they got DJ Moore, two first rounders and two second rounders. Right. And that's for the chance to draft a quarterback who, again, is a less than 50 50 shot to potentially win, you know, become a stud quarterback. How many of those guys are going to exist? You know, like, yeah, I, right. And, and meanwhile, you have one, it's two in the hand versus one in the, or two in, yeah, was it one in the hand versus two in the bush? You have uh, the fucking one in your hand. Why is two in a bush? Nice. Uh, you have one in the hand. Fucking take it. <laughs> Take it and don't let it fucking go. And yet the Ravens, oh my God, you have two Ravens in, in the two Ravens in the bush, one Raven in the hand, and they let that fucking Raven go. Two Ravens, one stone. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. What are we doing? I just sign the guy. Like he's um, gonna take you further than you possibly could imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. And I think it'll be the end of John Harbaugh too. I think yeah, well, that's this, that's the other thing. Season. It's like because because somebody's got to be the scapegoat, right? Yeah, it's not going to be if, the if owner. it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, yeah. and and you know even even if it does right now, there's there's no there's no rectifying it until and unless they they come back with a Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, right. It's well, not and- just another MVP for Lamar and oh, it's justified. No, they now they have to win the Super. Bowl. Yeah, and uh, you know, on top of it, like I I don't think Ozzie Newsom goes, but remember too, like Harbaugh was on the ropes until they got Lamar. Like there was already rumblings coming out of Baltimore, like this might be Harbaugh's last season. Two and years after he wins a Super Bowl, I mean, no. what? Well, it was longer than that. <laughs> Lamar got drafted the three in eighteen, so it was six years after they won a Super Bowl. So that that had kind of, I mean, look at the Eagles. Eagles were t- two years after winning a Super Bowl, and then Dougie P was out, um, and then they found a way to get back to a Super Bowl. Uh, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being Harbaugh's last year. Uh, assuming, you know, Lamar doesn't play. Do you think it's more likely he plays for another team or doesn't play at all this year? Another team. I'll stand by that. Um, I, I think, hope so, man. I hope so. I, I, yeah, I, I do too, because I, I think at the end of the day, and this was uh, part of the justification I made when this question last got brought up on the podcast, um, there's too many teams, and you, you look particularly at the NFC, which is absolutely wide open. Um, whether or not Aaron Rodgers leaves it. Uh, but there's too many teams that are this close, like just a quarterback away, uh, a legitimate QB one away from making a run. Mine is yeah. one of them. Um, and uh, I just, I think somebody's going to bite um, and overpay and, uh, because it works, right? We've seen the Rams operate this philosophy. The Niners are on their way. Uh, just bleed out all the cap space you possibly have. Put yourself in in hell for four years. But if you win a Super Bowl, it's worth it. it there's is. too many it, teams like that in the NFL right now. It's always worth it, right? Like a Super Bowl always makes it worth it. The, the big thing is it's like we had never seen a team do what the Rams did until the Rams did it in 2021. That was the first time a team goes out, trades for a quarterback in the offseason, and then year one, it immediately works. 
it is a gamble. Honest, my honest gut feeling here is that I, I think it's more likely we don't see Lamar play this year. I think hmm. there's so many moving pieces to this Lamar deal, right? In addition to like, again, you're bringing in someone who's never been a part of your organization, who's never played with your players, who's never lived there, has never, you don't know how your coach is going to work with him. You're going to commit to him for a really, really long term deal, which again, if I'm another team, I would take this risk. I'm just saying how other GM, because GMs are always trying to prevent themselves from getting fired. And this is a move that if you make it and it doesn't work out, you are getting canned. End of story, right? So GMs who are trying to protect their job, trying to extend how long, because GMs and coaches get hired to get fired. This is one of those situations where the longer it, you know, you can prolong your job safety, the better. And I think this is such a big risk with so many moving parts, committing a shit ton of money to someone who has never played for your organization, is not familiar with a coach, has never played anywhere outside of that system under Greg Roman in the NFL for the Baltimore Ravens. And on top of that, too, you have to trade out a ton of assets because, you know, it's going to be at least three first round picks, if not more. And you're going to have to give up a massive contract. So you're giving away assets, you're spending a ton of money, and you really don't know how this person is going to fit or play within your system. That is a huge, huge ask. Right. And it's also a it's a massive risk for any for anyone here. And I think just the moving parts getting the Ravens to accept that when they have Tyler Huntley, who they at least know can run whatever offense that they want to run, even if it's significantly less prolific than what it is with Lamar, they at least know that they have Tyler Huntley. So I think it's, I think it's going to be one of those things. And the other aspect too, is nobody wants to reset. Whoever's going to sign or sign and trade for Lamar is not, is going to be afraid of resetting that quarterback market. What does that quarterback market look like? Is any team going to be willing to, to meet the demands that he had for Baltimore? I don't think there's a team that's going to be willing to meet what he was asking for with Baltimore. So is he going to then be willing to settle for less than he had or less than he was offered uh, or once? And maybe it's more than what Baltimore was giving him, but is he going to be willing to do that given everything else, given the fact that he, is uh, has no agent like I I think there's just so many moving pieces to this in addition to a, an ownership ownership around the league being more and more tentative after the Deshaun Watson deal to create a long-term deal for a quarterback like again Herbert Burrow Hurts those three are going to reset whatever the combine uh, together their contracts are going to be the new norm whatever they look right. like whether it's higher but guaranteed then- money longer term deals whatever it is that's going to be the thing that resets the QB market, not the Danny Dimes contract, like none of that. Like what those three guys do are going to reset it. Teams are going to be but, afraid to reset it with the Lamar, given everything that's going on and how much they're going to sure. have to give up to get him back. For sure. But then timing becomes an issue, right? Because I think even if the charges are, are beginning talks, I mean, odds are they'd want to figure that out before the draft. So they knew what they were working with. But I think the Bengals are clearly content. They look how much they've spent in free agency. They're content dragging that into the season and being like, hey, you know what, Joe? You're going to get your money. But, uh, you know, we're not. They still have, but they at least have two more years of control over Burrow. Yeah. Just like the Chargers have two more years of control over Herbert. The Eagles are in a unique situation because they only have one year of control because Hertz was a second round pick. So this is going to be the last season, which is why I think the pressure is more on the Eagles to try to get this year done sooner rather than later. Whereas, like, the Chargers and the Bengals can be in a position where like, hey, 
let's get, and this would be my guess if I'm Cincinnati's front front office with the signings that they've gone out and made and, and, and the guys that they've brought in. I think it's more likely that Cincinnati's saying, hey, we're going to front load a bunch of contracts now while we have Burrow on this deal, front load them for the first year so we can get to our cap ceiling and we can still you know, have the value of Burrow on that rookie deal. And then next year will work, right? Because you can front load it for the next two years because mm-hmm. they still have at least two more years before the Burrow extension kicks in. So you can do it for this year and next year, front load all these contracts this year, and next year, the people you signed this year for the first two years, and then significantly less down the line, but you at least paid those guys already. And then you can sign Burrow to that long-term deal for when that kicks in, it'll work. I think the chargers are probably going to do the same thing. They spent a lot of money in free agency last year. They spent a little bit of money. You can tell they're already very cap conscious based off of what's happening with Austin Eckler, which has been like the most under talked about interesting story, yeah. I think of the off season. Um, and there's been like no buzz about it, but also between Rogers and Burrow and Lamar and everything. It's, it's been crazy. So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm really, really curious. Um, I just think it's more likely Lamar ends up playing somewhere else. Where would you want to see Lamar play? I mean, <laughs> besides San Francisco, because they're not in, they're not in the, the comp conversation. No, no, God, no, we don't have the cap space. They should um, be, but they're, they're not. Um, man, I think, uh, like I said, anywhere in the NFC, I, I keep going back to Atlanta. I think Carolina would be a good fit, um, but they had traded up to the one. So they are clearly have their, can guy. I tell you, can I tell you mine? Yeah, because I think mine is the correct answer. It's the Detroit Lions. Huh? Oh, yeah. That'll it's not. Good. It's it, that is that defense is going to be awesome this year. They're going to add yeah. another. They did. Ha- and they have two first round picks this year, so they can trade six. They can still hold on to 18 if they trade for Lamar. Right. So you can still potentially hold on to another good you know, first round pick this year. You have a great wide receiver room. You have a great running back room. You have a good defense. You have a great offensive line and you play in a dome. And you got Dan Campbell. <laughs> and you got Dan, like, and that team, that team with uh, the the offensive coordinator, um, whose name is escaping me right now, who got a bunch of uh, head coaching interviews and stuff this year, like that offense with Lamar would be, like, I think immediately they become made a show on turf. I, I not only are they the favorites to win their division, I think they're right up there with the Eagles and the Niners for favorites to win that division or to win yeah, the, the NFC, yeah. like. That because again, all of their defensive studs are all on rookie deals. Their offensive line, young studs, right? They have a couple of older guys who aren't like elite, elite, but are still getting paid decent money. You have, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the the offensive lineman, uh, uh, Penae Sewell. Penae Sewell. Thank you. I was gonna say Sine Pool, but I was like, no, that's not right. It's Penae Sewell. Um, you have Penae Sewell there, right, to protect the right side. Like that team with DeAndre Swift. Right. And uh, David Montgomery now, no more Jamal Williams, but David Montgomery and Lamar with Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, they just brought back Marvin Jones Jr. Who's the, the Alabama wide receiver that came back? Oh, yeah. And Jamison Williams, too. Jameson yeah, you're Williams, right. They drafted you. Jamison Williams, who got to play and was an absolute fucking sp- like one of the fastest players I've ever seen in an NFL uniform. Yeah. Like, dude, go get Lamar. If I'm at, if I'm Detroit. That's a good pull. Thank like you. That. Thank you, Jared Goff. Appreciate the service. We're going to go get Lamar. That's what I would do. All right. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we're going to break down the Elite Eight, Sweet 16. Obviously, it's been a little while since those games happened, but 
we didn't get a chance to talk about it earlier this week, so we're going to talk a little bit college basketball preview for the Final Four and the National Championship, and then we'll get you guys on your way to the rest of the weekend. All right, let's keep going here. Final Four this weekend, and just as everybody drew it up, yep. San Diego State takes on mm-hmm. FAU, and Miami is taking on UConn. The, somebody said this at the bar I work at the other night, and I, it has to be true. It's just one of those things like I didn't look up because it just has to be true. If you uh, add up, if you, yeah, exactly. If you add <laughs> up the four numbers of the final four teams and their seedings, this has to be the highest total number ever, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. you got to think I, of the years like when it was like when VCU and George Mason made it as 11 seeds. 11, yeah. It's but, the only one, but that's only two more than the nine seed of FAU. So it's like a nine plus two fours, two fives, seven, yeah. or two five. Is it two fives? Two fives and a four, yeah. Yeah, it is. You're right. So it's 19. So 23 as the total number. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be the highest number, right? Um, so there's a few things. First off, I was my, I was talking to my mom about this the other day, actually. And she was like, yeah, like you have to think like, like this has to like going to be crazy. Like everyone's going to watch and be like super tuned in. The ratings are going to be huge. And I was like, I actually don't think they are. (laughs) What I think is that I think for people who are fans of the tournament, they're probably more excited for this final four than most other years. But to the casual fans who are like, Oh, Duke's in the final four. I hate Duke or Villanova's in, I love Villanova or Michigan state or UNC Kansas, right? Any of those traditional, yeah. yeah, UCLA, right? Like any fan of those teams or casual fan of the college college basketball, they're not going to tune in to see FAU. You know, they're not going to tune in to, to see, you know, Miami or um, San Diego State. Most people are going to be like, where is San Diego State? Like, I don't, didn't even know that was a college. Oh, it's in San Diego, Jeff. Well, thank you. California. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got you. San Diego. You out. <laughs> yeah. Wales vagina. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I Look, I mean, I think we should start by at least covering the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. It was a great weekend of basketball. Um, it was. Marquise Noel and that Kansas State team, really, really awesome run from them. They were right there. Uh, credit to FAU, man. I mean, that team just doesn't quit. Like, I, I, I've just continually been impressed. Like, it's, it's funny because it seems like no matter who they've played, they've kind of played the same game where it's been really close and it's been closer than it probably should. But they just have this, like, tenacity and this just, like, like never give up kind of energy about them and that they, they know how to close out tight games and San yeah. Diego state doesn't even have like cause the one thing about San Diego state is like, they looked really good against Alabama. Um, they were out, they out physical, they made more shots, like just top to bottom. They were better. You could tell that they came in with like a, Hey, we can upset this team. I'm curious now with San Diego state because they've, all the Mountain West teams have had this chip on their shoulder with the tournament, you know, and particularly San Diego State with how bad that conference has been. I'm curious if they're going to be able to continue that here against FAU, right? Because it kind mm-hmm. of feels like the top of the mountaintop was like nobody gave them a shot to beat Alabama. This is Alabama's tournament to lose. Like it was that was the narrative over and over again. They came in with this massive chip on their shoulder. They won that game big time. And now it's like, we're the team to beat like, or do they still look at themselves as underdogs, but they're going up against FAU. Like how, how, right. if, if you're San Diego state, the season you've had, knowing you just beat the number one team in the country all season, how do you go into a game against FAU as a nine seed who've won 35 games and had an incredible year, but how do you go into that game thinking that you're an underdog? 
I don't think you do. I think you you realize what how you've gotten there. Number one, um, forget the narrative around the tournament. That's nobody. When you get to this point, it's who cares? Like, great, you beat Alabama. Uh, yeah, but it, you know, it, at, at this point, you have to understand how you've gotten there, but also forget you know the fact that like everyone counted you out in that Alabama game and you beat them. But you know, to to you, that has to be just another win. Um, cliches are cliche for a reason, my friend, but, uh, it, it look in that game against FAU, I think the more, uh, daunting task this week in preparation will probably be to figure out how you play against a team who plays similarly to you. I mean, look, it's two teams who depend on their athleticism and strength to, to will themselves to win in, in these tight games, uh, once that breaks down for San Diego State, and we've seen it in periods of games uh, over the course of the tournament, same with FAU, uh, it looks like a different team. And, and when it comes to, to crunch time, uh, and I'm sure this game will be as close as, as all of both San Diego State's and FAU games have been, when it comes to crunch time, I think you know, that's, that's where the, the athleticism and the strength and the, and the will do, shines for both of those teams so it'll be it'll be an interesting final like three minutes of this game i'm pretty sure um, yeah i think it's gonna be a i think it's gonna be a phenomenal final i, yeah. I, th- I think oh, yeah i think that game's gonna be really really fun i mean san diego state like they didn't look great against Carl's college of charleston they beat the shit out of Furman. um creighton came down to the wire and then yeah in there what did elite- you make of uh by the way did you think that was a foul in that in that creighton san diego state game it reminded me a lot of the Super Bowl. I, I was I was just gonna. It's it's going it. yeah. It's going sixty five and a sixty. You know, yeah. it's like you shouldn't call it because that it didn't really seem like they were calling that all game. But, but by the letter of the law, letter of the law, it's a foul, that's right? A foul. So yeah. I mean, like, and, and I also I also get the argument on the opposite side of it, which is like, look, like if you're asking, I forget who posted or tweeted this, but somebody tweeted out like, if you're gonna ask refs not to call that, then you're giving the defense an unfair advantage on the final play. Right. So you have to be willing to call that, but I also think it has to be more egregious than the shot. Like I, it didn't seem the problem was, and why I think it's very similar to the lot to that play in the Super Bowl was like, you saw the hand on the waist. It was very clear. It was in the middle of the lane. Everyone was looking at it. There was no matter what, every single ref on the, on the court could have made that call. I don't like games getting decided like that. But at the same time, it was like, and there's just, there's nothing you can really, yeah. you can really do about it. Um, I, I'll tell you what, man, like I, I think FAU is the better team. I, I am so impressed with the way that they have played throughout the tournament, right? Like they, they were in a position where it's like, everyone's going to be rooting against this against Fairleigh Dickinson. They handled that. They go up against a really tough physical Tennessee team. They out physical them, right? They obviously beat Purdue. Uh, sorry, they obviously beat Memphis in the first round too. And and Memphis is a super physical, really high flying team. Like I think Memphis and San Diego State are pretty similar teams in the way that they're constructed, yeah. in the way that they're coached. And I think that favors FIU. I think the one thing that's impressed me the most with FIU throughout this tournament has been the shot making. You know, like their ability to get to the rim and and pour shot and get rims in off the glass, like finding ways to get there has just been really, really, really impressive. And I think they're going to be really, really tough to beat. I think they're incredibly well coached. I think Dusty May um, has has been arguably the best coach in the tournament this year. 
Um, you know, Jim Laranega, like I love him at Miami. He's that he very much has turned into like the grandpa of college basketball and everyone loves him for that. Um, obviously Danny Hurley is a sociopath and is a really good coach and gets his team fired up. But I think what Dusty May has done, he's so composed on the sidelines at all time, even when his team was down to Fairleigh Dickinson, they were down to Tennessee, they were down to Kansas state, like, and that team just never gives up. I love what FAU's done and I'm pulling for the owls, man. Like I want to see them in the national championship. I want to see them take down Danny Hurley and UConn or Jim Laranega and Miami. I'm, I'm all behind FAU right now. <laughs> Boca Raton is going to go uh, nuts. Yeah, what a hyper local final that would be if it's Florida Atlantic and Miami. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny. Um, South it's, Florida. It was fun. Bringing uh, the yeah, heat. Exactly. Uh, shout out to again. Shout out to Kansas State. What a fun run for them, man. Yeah. Um, it was. And and Marquise Noel, I think, won everybody's hearts as like everyone's favorite player in this tournament. Uh, heartbreaking way for them to lose that game too, because it really felt. I mean, they were up nine i think with like less than five minutes to play and it felt like man kansas state's gonna roll here and just a couple of threes a couple of trips to the line they got in a little bit of foul trouble at the end keontae johnson getting into foul trouble was really big for them in that game um it was just a shame it's just a shame uh other yeah. side of the bracket uh miami knocks off houston last friday night beats the shit out of Houston. Right. And that's what I told you, right. When we were first talking about it and I was like, when Miami is pouring in shots, like I don't think there's a team that can beat them because they're so long and athletic and they have really good shooters when they're off, they're off. But I mean, look at Miami. I mean, Miami's closest game all tournament was their first round game against Drake. Yeah, they against only Drake. won by seven yeah. points. It was They tied with the, how much did they beat Miami with? It was a seven point win against, or they beat Texas with, they beat seven, I beat Texas by seven. They beat Drake by seven, but then they beat the shit out of Indiana. Even though Indiana had to come back, they, they, not only did they beat my uh, Houston, they got out in front, and Houston never had a shot. Like Houston never got close to getting back into that game. They never crawled back. It was like we are putting our foot down and winning this thing. Um, the my one thing with Miami is like because Jim Laranega is like that kind of hands off grandpa. Like, hey, who's having fun? He keeps his team really loose. I'm worried about what they're going to be like in a game when it's really close. And I think that's what they're going to get with UConn here. Uh, UConn beats the shit out of Arkansas to get to the Elite Eight uh, and then just flat out destroys Gonzaga. Gonzaga-UCLA was a phenomenal game. Huge comeback by the Zags. And then UCLA coming back and keeping it close, and then we get the almost buzzer yeah. beater there. I'd say that was there. <laughs> yeah, I, and I would say after, other than probably the, um, the, the UVA and Furman game on the opening day, this is that was probably the second best game of the tournament, Gonzaga yeah, and UCLA. That was a really fun game. Uh, and then UConn just again, too physical. Um, what their big man, too, one of the best players in the Big East, uh, in Ramadan right now. So he's was fasting during the Elite Eight, which is crazy. The fact that he didn't eat or drink anything and still went out and absolutely dominated Drew Timmy. Um, I thought I thought that was great. UConn, it looks like they should be the team to beat. I mean, they beat they beat Iona by 24. They beat St. Mary's by 15. They beat Gonzaga by almost 30. I mean, they have rolled through the first three games. I know they were down at halftime against Iona, but since the second half of uh, their first matchup, first round against Iona, UConn has just not looked back. Well, that's the, been the narrative all week is is just how dominant they've played, um, and. and you know, I think 
if if it weren't for the field uh, that's left, that would just be a, a side note, right? Yeah. Like, hey, maybe they'll be competitive because they've been so dominant thus far. But because it's a five, a five, a five and a nine, that uh, apart from them in the in the final four, I think this is the trendy pick. I think it's uh, not to say that they're not a great team. They are. They're well coached. Uh, they they've played really well throughout the the course of the tournament against pretty good teams. Uh, but I just think because they're the highest seed left, because uh, they're they're left with three really. Uh, apart from Miami, who they're going against, three really inconsistent teams. Uh, I think for the, for the better part of uh, of the season, um, not in know, terms F8, of record, F8. but in terms of yeah. play, I'm talking about you know. Um, but but yeah, so I I think that's what the the narrative all week has been because uh, because of that. Um, again, not to say that UConn isn't good. I, I really think they they uh, have earned their spot here in the Final Four. All no of them question. Have, but um, well, and that's the thing. It's like they've beaten good teams along the way. They, yeah. I mean, they beat Arkansas by 23 points. I mean, everyone they've beaten, they've beaten by the, – the closest game was the game against St. Mary's that they won by 15. Yeah, right. But I always go back to this theory. And, like, look, we've had years, like the year – the last – the second time Villanova won under Jay Wright, right, where they just dominated everyone. From the start of the tournament to the game, they won every single game by double digits. It wasn't close. They and then they won the national championship against Michigan by like thirty. And Dante DiVincenzo, like DiVincenzo, goes off for a million, right? Warrior, like, yeah, Warrior Dante DiVincenzo, um, the the what they call him like the Michael Jordan of Delaware, which is just one of the funnest nicknames of all time. <laughs> um, but you know, I but I again, I, I so I look at at this UConn team. And I think like, could they go on a Villanova type run where it's like they beat Miami by a million. Right. And then they play FAU or San Diego state in the national championship. And then they beat either of those teams by 20. And then it's just, it's an absolute drumming from the beginning of the tournament through the end. But what happens when Miami gets hot and Miami starts seven of eight from well, three, right. In the yeah. first half. And you're just like, how do we, how do we hang with that? And what happens when they get to a game in the tournament that they haven't been in where it's like, we have to make sure we are playing our best basketball. We're tight. We're in a close game. We can't turn the ball over. Like we just haven't seen UConn in a game like that yet. And I'm, my concern is always like FAU has been battle tested since the first round, San Diego state, same thing, Miami, same thing, right? All of these teams have had to find ways to kind of come back. Now, look, UConn had to come back against Iona, but they knew they were the superior team and they flat out dominated that second half to a point and still end up winning the game by 24 points. I want to see what UConn looks like with two minutes left in a game that they're down one or they're up one. How does that version of UConn look like? And they could very easily have the against Miami if Miami comes out flamethrowing, pouring in shots. Now, the response would be, the retort would be, I guess, that when you're playing in the football stadium, sometimes the eye lines are different. And so a lot of teams struggle shooting the ball from deep. But that also has been disproven over the last couple of years. Like that was a very trendy, classic dad take kind of thing. Where it's like, well, they're playing in a football stadium now. They're not going to be able to shoot the ball as much. They have to pound it inside. Like, I think Miami will be fine. Over the last couple of years, we've seen teams not struggle shooting, you know, deep threes and, and playing the normal basketball just because they're playing in a football stadium. Um, I think that game is going to be awesome. I think both of these final four I do games too. are going to be awesome. And, and again, like like I said, the two teams on the left side, FAU and, and San Diego State, are similar. I really think Miami and, and UConn are similar. Uh in their construction, they're they're the two deepest 
teams left in the tournament. They, they're all so talented, one through five and probably even six. Uh, yeah. and both can shoot the hell out of the ball. Both play great defense. Um, and this is Miami team who's coming off losing three starters and went who went to the Elite Eight last year. So they have the experience. Um, I think that's going to be an absolute shootout too, especially if Jordan Miller, uh, shout out to, to Jordan Miller, Leesburg, uh, Virginia, uh, Loudoun Valley High School. Really? Uh, he went to GMU and transferred to, to Miami. Yeah. So, mm. uh, uh, yeah, man. Jim Laranag is still getting ties to GMU. <laughs> that's right. Even though he's yeah. been at Miami for like 10 years. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, all right. Well, here, let's, let's get into it then. Miami, UConn, who do you got? Um, I'm going to roll with the Canes. I just, wow. I, I feel like uh, to your point, I feel like this is a game where um, if it comes down to, to crunch time uh, and, and, and Miami is is shooting as well as they're capable of, and they're ahead. I think that's where they they are disciplined enough, experienced enough to uh, just really just hit the brakes on on their on defense and stop UConn as good as they are at shooting the ball. And I think it ends up being closer because UConn's so good at shooting that they could end up pu- putting in some of those threes to make it a tight uh, keep it a tight ball game in the end. But Miami's just so disciplined, so uh, experienced. Um, if they get out to the lead, I think they win. All right. Uh, f- fun footnote here, too. Jim Laranega, when he was at GM- GMU, punches his ticket to the Final Four. Do you, me- do you remember who they beat to get there? Was it Miami or UConn? It was, it was UConn. Yeah. Jim Laranega beat UConn back in 2006 UConn. when he was the head coach <laughs> at GMU to punch George Mason's ticket to the Final Four. Does UConn, is this a revenge game? 20, what, 27 or 17 years? 17. Oh my God. 17 years <laughs> no. later. Woo. Um, no, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I think UConn wins. I, I think I mean, yeah, I've been bullish on them this year, but you were, and you were, and you were big on them when we, when we made our brackets. I mean, you had them, I think when we did our second chance bracket, you had them getting to the finals. So uh, I think UConn does. I think it's a close game though. Um, but I just, I think there's a chance Miami just gets cold shooting from three. Um, now they can score in a lot of different ways and they play very loose. And I think that's very helpful for this Miami team. Uh, they looked, I mean, the the game against Texas was crazy. I mean, Texas was up 11 at one point in that game and they just turned it on in the last 10 minutes and found a way to get back. And I think something similar could happen. Jordan Um, Miller didn't miss a shot. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I think I, I like, I'm going to be rooting for Miami. I want to see the Canes get there. Um, but I think it's going to be UConn. What about on the other side, San Diego State, FAU? I, I like FAU. I, I just, I, I like, look, so they, like I said, they're a, they're both similar teams in that they depend on their strength and athleticism um, to to win them tight ball games. And they've both been in tight ball games throughout the tournament. I just think John L. Davis has this takeover ability and FAU can score better than San Diego State can score in that crunch time. Uh, and in a in a ball game like this, this is that's what you want is is the team that can score and and once they're they're motivated to do that, they've proven enough. Uh, they've proven throughout the tournament they can they can shut you down on defense when when the when the chips are down at the end of the game. So I'm going to take the Owls. Uh, I'm with you. I'm going to take FAU, but I do think it's worth noting the 2020 season, 2019 2020 season, San Diego State was the number one team in the country when the season got canceled because of COVID um, that team, that organized that, that, that program, the kids that there are kids on that team who were on that 
2019-2020 season, like they look at this season and this run as like a this is what we should have been able. This is what we redemption. could have had. Yeah. This is our redemption. This is our opportunity based Born off of for that, that was taken away from us. Virus. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pulling for both San Diego State and FAU. I'm whoever comes out of this side of the of the bracket. I'm pulling for. But I'm with you. I, I think that what FAU has proven at the end of games. Um, is just so, so impressive. I think San Diego State has better off, has, has better defensive players, more athletic. Um, but I think FAU is just, they're going to be the perpetual underdog and they look at it every time. But it's an underdog that's won 35 games this year. This team that's knows insane. how to, they know how to win <laughs> basketball games. And I think they're going to punch their ticket to the finals. Uh, so you have FAU in Miami, the uh, South Florida Bowl. Uh, I have UConn and FAU. Who do you have winning the national championship? The Boca Raton ball, <laughs> the Boca Raton, yeah, whatever the old, well, yeah, what is that? Like the 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 lawn eaters or whatever. Boca, Boca. <laughs> bad boy mowers, Boca yeah, the Raton bad boy mowers. mowers. <laughs> um, now I like Miami in that game. I just, you know, as great an underdog story as it would be for a nine seed to win the the title, thirty five wins mid major. Uh, I think it comes down to the fact that. Um, and this is something John L. Davis has said about transferring from, from George Mason to, uh, to Miami is that the competition that you face in the ACC and at this level is so vastly different in, especially in, in, uh, the play of the bigs, right? Yeah. Six, six, nine, six, ten guys shouldn't move and shoot the way that, uh, that they do in, in the, uh, in the power six. And I think that's what uh, wins the day in the end and Miami wins the national championship. That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, my pick is not fun. I'm taking UConn. They've been the best team in the tournament. Um, Danny Hurley is, is, is coaching his ass off. Uh, I think the one thing that they have that no other team has is that big, you know, I always, I forget how to pronounce his name, but they, they have the center, they have the dominant force down low, which, and especially in final four games, like what we see every single year as such a massive difference maker is who can rebound, right? We talk about it in the tournament, but particularly in these final four games, when every single possession is so important, the team that can rebound and dominate the glass goes far. And I know FAU has the seven footer, but he's going to get his ass cooked in the paint going up against, um, UConn and I just I think UConn Sonogo thank you yeah Yeah. he's unbelievable I mean having that presence down low I think in a tournament the easy put back twos you know the offensive rebounds if he gets up if he gets in foul trouble though that's that's for sure the issue for sure that that happened in the in the Gonzaga game granted they were ahead by a million but yeah it happened in the Gonzaga game and and we saw that the drop off on the on the block but they just they have the size that nobody else has. And Miami could get him into foul trouble, and that could be a real problem for UConn. Um, but I think Sonogo has been playing such good basketball throughout this tournament. I think he's been the best player. Our, you could make the case now that, especially without Marquise Noel, he's probably been the best player in the tournament. Um, and he's probably not getting the shine for it. You could say John Al Davis, right? You could throw a couple people out there. But I, I really do think he's been that good. So uh, I'm taking UConn to win the national championship. Um, I know that's not as fun as picking FAU. I'm going to be pulling for FAU or San Diego State. I hope one of those two does it. Even if it's Jim, basically anyone other than UConn, I'm happy if they win. Um, but Danny Hurley used to be the head coach at Wagner when my sister was there. So I have mm. some sort of weird tie to Danny Hurley, at least. Um, but I don't like UConn. I don't like UConn. Fuck UConn. All right. Big East. Wow. Not a, not a dime back. What a shocker. Yeah. Not, they're not bad. <laughs> 
They're not bad players. Jim Calhoun, legend. All right. <laughs> That's all we got on the pod today. Thank you to Scotty for listening uh, or for joining. Thank you to everyone else for listening. Again, sorry for the delay. Go check out Girl We Got to Talk podcast with my friend Elena Jacks and myself. Very, very fun pod. Uh, go hit that up. It's uh, anywhere you can get your podcast. She's the best. But thank you all for listening. You all, the read option faithful, are the best as well. So we love you. Thank you so much for the time. We will talk to you guys next week with a national championship in place uh, and a national champion already likely to be uh, crowned. So thank you so much. We love you guys. We'll talk to you all next week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.